This is Still Rowing, a High Five Live podcast, where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in Jesus Christ and His restored church. Bill Fleming is a lifelong active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He grew up in Rochester, Minnesota in the 1950s and 60s, attending the only branch there at the time. He served in the France-Paris Mission from 1972 to 1974, then received a bachelor's degree from BYU in 1977, where he met his wife, Shauna. He received a master's degree from Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois in 1979. He retired from his career as a small business owner in Minnesota in December of 2020. Bill and Shauna have seven children, of which I am one, and 12 grandchildren. While raising their children, they lived and served in wards and stakes in Illinois, California, Georgia, and Minnesota. They now live in northwest Arkansas, close to two of their children and six of their grandchildren, anxiously awaiting the opening of the Bentonville, Arkansas Temple. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. This is your host, Amy Cower, and I don't know if you caught it, but we're talking to my dad today, and I am so excited that he's here. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us, Dad. Well, thank you. This is fun to visit with you. We are going to talk about the light of Christ today and a beautiful essay that my dad has written about this topic. We've saved this episode for a bit later in the season for a couple of reasons, namely the timing. We would love to have something to focus on this year and think about throughout the holiday season that reminds us of what this season is all about, centering our minds on Christ and helping us to notice the light of Christ as we go about the Christmas season. I've been pondering on this topic a bit. I love Christmas. (laughs) It's one of my, I should say it is my favorite holiday. I think about how even those who don't necessarily believe in Jesus Christ as their savior, still feel this sense of hope and light at this time of year. Now, commonly it will be called the Christmas spirit, but I believe it's the light of Christ that is helping people to feel the blessings of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in this time of year. So we're going to dive into that doctrine a bit more today. Something else I wanted to point out Uh, about why this is important to me in talking to my dad specifically is because he is not a professor of religion. He is not, he's not a theologian. This is not his day job. And yet you will hear the depth of knowledge that he has attained over these years. And he'll talk a little bit about how he got there and, and what he's done to develop this bank of wisdom about the doctrine I think he is a great example of how we can all learn line upon line and precept upon precept to build an amazing testimony of our Savior Jesus Christ. So that's really why I wanted to have him on so that you could get a sense of what's possible. Um, President Nelson has been encouraging us to take our testimonies into our own hands and to put more effort into gospel learning. He said, if you have questions, and I hope you do, seek answers with the fervent desire to believe. Learn all you can about the gospel and be sure to turn to truth-filled sources for guidance. 
we live in a dispensation when, and I quote, nothing shall be withheld. That's in DNC 121.28. He continues, thus, in time, the Lord will answer all our questions. And that's so huge. All our questions. I love the promises that President Nelson has made. He's made some really profound promises. So he continues with some of the blessings. He says that we will receive spiritual growth, freedom from fear, and a confidence that you can scarcely imagine now. You will have the strength to have a positive influence far beyond your natural capacity. And I promise that your future will be more exhilarating than anything you can presently believe. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty amazing to me. I would love to have a life that is more exhilarating than anything I can presently believe. So as we get started, Dad, what was the process like of getting to this level of knowledge that you have about this topic? Sure. Thanks, Amy. Um, It really goes back about 45 years to when I was a student at Brigham Young University. Uh, And the seeds for this pursuit came from several elders quorum meeting discussions in in my BYU branch. In that era of time, all of the church units with BYU students were branches. And so I was a member of a branch at BYU. And we had wonderful elders quorum leaders and instructors. And it was there that I was um, really introduced to some ideas about the Spirit of God, which we also call the Light of Christ, uh, that became very interesting to me. And during those discussions, I came to understand that the Light of Christ was much more than simply the gift of conscience given to all mankind. Typically, when the Light of Christ is part of gospel discussion, a part of our Sunday lessons, we talk of it as our conscience, that spirit that helps us to recognize good and encourages us to choose the right. But in my um, interest in this and study and reflection over these last 40 or 45 years, I've come to recognize that the doctrine of the light of Christ is far beyond that, far beyond that. It's not, um, there's so much more. And the doctrine of the light of Christ illuminates, helps us understand many other significant doctrines. Uh, And so that has been thrilling to me. Well, in those elders quorum discussions, um, talking about the light of Christ, uh, I remember a quote from Party P. Pratt, who described the light of Christ or or the Holy Spirit as the great positive controlling element of all other elements. Well, that's a seems like a very significant statement, well beyond simply the conscience given to all mankind. And and Amy, I appreciate the quote that you uh, shared at the beginning from President Nelson. That's that's marvelous. President Nelson clearly has visions of wonderful, extraordinary things that are to happen in this dispensation. Um, and I too have lots of questions and look forward to having answers to all of those questions. Well, so I, back at BYU, I became interested in the topic. In the years since BYU, I have studied much and reflected often on this. It's been, it's been in the back of my mind um, all the time. Not that it's been an intense focus, 
all the time. But 40 years is a relatively long period of time. And it's just been tidbits of aha moments through all of those years that I decided to gather together and write down so that I could share them more effectively than just a comment here or there. My study and reflection have led me to new insights into the light of Christ, as well as several other important doctrines. Uh, it reflects on doctrines the, uh, such as the light and life of the world, the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the deification of man, eternal progression, not only ours, but God's, priesthood, priesthood ordinances, the sacrament, and the atonement of Jesus Christ. I was thrilled to learn how the light of Christ relates to so many doctrines of truth. And I'm grateful. And I hope that um, kind of in sharing how this unfolded and some of the thoughts that I've had and how they've come together through the years might be helpful. This has definitely been enriching to me. And if that's all it is, that's a wonderful blessing to me. And if, if these things can be helpful to others as well, then that's wonderful. And I'm very, I'm, and I'm grateful and I'm happy to, to share some of the things that I've experienced. So early on in my study, I recognized that there are two different spiritual entities in which we have great interest in the church, the Holy Ghost and the light of Christ. The distinction between these entities in the scriptures is sometimes blurred because both are referred to at times using some of the same words. Both are referred to at times as the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, or simply the Spirit. But they are not the same. And it can help us to gain a better understanding, particularly of the light of Christ, if we recognize that they are not the same. And although they are not the same, they are still of the same, they are of the same divine uh, power and gifts and attributes and blessings. The Holy Ghost providing a greater manifestation of the gifts and blessings of the light of Christ. Now, it's also important to read, it's important for me to remind myself, but also to share with others that when we Sometimes the light of Christ, when it's referred to as the Spirit, just to remember that it is talking about the light of Christ. It's not, um, and there may be scriptural references that I'll make in this discussion today that that don't. The scripture doesn't state the light of Christ. The scripture states the Spirit, but that's because the Spirit is used to describe the light of Christ. Even though sometimes we just think of the Holy Ghost and and don't think about the light of Christ. So how would you define the light of Christ? And if I'm reading the scriptures, how do I differentiate between the two? Well, that, yeah, let's, great. Let's take, consider the two. Um, the Holy Ghost is a personage of spirit who can only be in one place at a time. The light of Christ is a material substance that is everywhere present all the time. It radiates from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost to permeate all things. So if we think of the Son, the sun, which is in a, in a particular place in the heavens, and radiating from the Son are the rays that project light and warmth to everything they touch. So there is this spirit matter. It's a material substance. Joseph Smith taught that all spirit is matter. 
but that it's more fine or pure than we can than we can uh, recognize with our external senses. But spirit is matter, and it radiates from God and God had to fill all of the universe. So the Holy Ghost, again, is a personage of spirit who can only be in one place at a time. The light of Christ is a material substance that is everywhere, all the time. It radiates from the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to permeate all things. It is more concentrated in some places than others. Throughout the scriptures, we read about the spirit being withdrawn from the wicked and the spirit being poured out upon the righteous. The light of Christ constitutes a spiritual atmosphere in which, in the words of Paul, we live and move and have our being, which Parley P. Pratt described as the great controlling element of all other elements. So it's everywhere. It's in all and through all things. It's the power of God. Now, the Holy Ghost and the light of Christ are very much related in that the light of Christ is a vehicle used by the Holy Ghost to communicate with men and women all over the earth. And so we have 16 million people that live on earth who've received the gift of the Holy Ghost, or at least have access to the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's not the personal presence of the Holy Ghost. He can only be in one place at a time. But it's the influence of the Holy Ghost that is spread forth upon all of the earth through this other spirit, which we call the light of Christ, in order to distinguish it from the Holy Ghost. So if we just describe something spiritual and use the word the spirit, we may not know if that's referring to the light of Christ or the Holy Ghost, because the spirit can be used to describe either one. That makes sense. We may be able to tell the difference given the context of the of the passage. If it relates to a what appears to be an individual being, the presence of an individual being, it may well be the Holy Ghost. But if it's in a context of something that is more general, like the righteous were filled with the Spirit, well, all of the righteous can't be filled with the Spirit with the Holy Ghost, with the personage of the Holy Ghost. They can be filled with the influence of the Holy Ghost. They can be filled with the light of Christ, all of them, because the light of Christ is everywhere, and the light of Christ conveys the influence of the Holy Ghost. So they are very much interrelated. In my thinking about this, I thought, well, so I'll read a scripture, and it, it has the word Spirit or Holy Spirit, and I think, well, which one is this? And you can't really tell from the context if it's talking about the, the influence of the Holy Ghost or if it's talking about the light of Christ as a separate entity. In my mind, at least at this time, I have resolved to not worry about it and feel like it doesn't matter because the spirit, it's the, it's the same. The, the, the light of Christ is an agency of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost works through the light of Christ. If a scripture says, like in Galatians, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, goodness. Is that the fruit of the Holy Ghost, the influence of the Holy Ghost, or is that the fruit of the Spirit? It's both. It's both. Those are divine qualities and attributes of the light of Christ, um, also of the Holy Ghost. 
and the Holy Ghost works through the light of Christ to maybe intensify or fortify or increase the effects of those spiritual attributes in the hearts of men and women. So in some contexts, I don't think it matters which one it's referring to, because whichever one it's referring to, it, it, it means divine uh, attributes, divine qualities, divine blessings. And the Holy Ghost, his influence can intensify those blessings. Uh, Charles Penrose, who was a member of the First Presidency back in the early 19th or 20th century, uh, said that the, the gift of the Holy Ghost is a higher endowment of the same spirit that is given to all men and women. So that the gift of the Holy Ghost is a higher manifestation, a higher endowment, a more intense experience of blessings and manifestations of the light of Christ. And what to me has been is a classic general conference talk was given by President Marion G. Romney in the spring of 1977. So this was just at the right at the time I was graduating from BYU and leaving BYU. President Romney gave a talk in general conference and he taught us of what he called the three phases of the light of Christ. That was very curious to me. Again, up until that point in my life, the light of Christ meant that portion of God's spirit that's given to all men and to be a conscience. President Romney said there are actually three phases of the light of Christ. It goes well beyond that. The first phase is that light that's given to all men and women, which we commonly understand. The second phase of the light of Christ is the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the third phase of the light of Christ is to have a fullness of light through having our calling and election made sure. And so the light of Christ goes way beyond that portion that's given to all men and women. That's so exciting. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that when we're born into this world, we come in with a portion of the light of Christ or this gift of conscience. And then in the second phase, we have the ability to expand that capacity for the light of Christ by making new covenants like baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost to be able to experience more of that until we progress and progress until we have a fullness. Am I understanding that right? And I love what you just said. I love your use of the word capacity. That feels right. And that's, I think that's exactly right. It is a new capacity. And so what does that say about what does that say about missionary work? When we try to share the gospel with other people, what are we offering to them? We're offering to them that greater capacity that you just mentioned. Mm. So what have you seen to be some of those blessings of having received greater capacity in your life? Let me get to that. Okay. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> to throw you off here. Let me get to that. I, um and throw in a couple of things first, and then we'll, and then we'll come back to that. Sure. As I then graduated, left school, uh, with marriage and children started to come, and as I would think about these things, these things would still be in my mind. And if I would read something, or there would be a talk, or something I'd come across in the scriptures, or maybe just in my reading the scriptures, with these ideas of the light of Christ in mind, 
um, I would see something that I might not have otherwise noticed because of my interest in the light of Christ. And one of the things that I felt to do, which has been a wonderful thing for me, is to recognize a few passages of scripture that seem particularly significant and I've memorized them so that I can reflect upon them whenever I want to. And I've done that and it helped both to reflect, but also if I'm reading a scripture or listening to a talk and I come across something that either illuminates that passage that was of interest that I memorized or that that passage helps me better understand this new passage, it comes to mind immediately because it's because I've memorized it. I don't have to think, oh, that sounds familiar, and then dig around and try to find a reference and go see if I can find It's there. I know it. And there have been several times, and again, this is over the course of 40 years, so this isn't intense study that all comes to, came to me in a year or so. This is, these are tidbits here and there between raising children and 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 taking and figuring out my career and all of those things just every once in a while a, a light would come on and say oh oh that's what that means or that makes sense one of those passages is doctrine and covenants section 88 verses 6 to 13 those are eight verses that are dense with doctrine of the light of christ I memorized that early on. I've repeated it many, many times. If I'm lying awake at night, I want to have something uplifting to think about. I'll go to the scriptures that I've memorized and I can just review them in my mind. And I've done that many, many times with this passage of scripture. That is a passage. And again, it's only eight verses long that I certainly recommend. In those few verses, we learn that the light of Christ is, a, is the natural light of the sun, the moon, and the stars by which we see the things of the physical world in a, in a more refined state, in its more refined spiritual state, the light of Christ is the light of our intellect by which we understand the things of the mind. In, those, in that passage, we learn that the light of Christ proceeds from God to fill the immensity of space. So again, that's the idea of the sun, the image of the sun and the rays of the sun. I pictured the Godhead together in heaven and this, the light of Christ, or the Spirit of God, radiating from them to touch every spot, every place in God's creations. In that passage of scriptures in Dr. Covenant 88, we read, the light, this light is in all things. Not only does it shed light upon things, like we think of the light of the sun, but it actually penetrates. It penetrates material things. It gives life to all things. It controls all things, and it, it is characterized in that passage as the power of God. Also, within those eight verses, we learn that as a result of his atonement, Jesus Christ is the source of this life-giving light to all of us. So we have access to this particular light because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that later. I'd like to get more to your question about what are, what are some of these benefits and blessings of the light of Christ. We'll come back to this idea that once we have a better recognition of the blessings, then we come back and say, these blessings are available to us because of the atonement of Jesus Christ.
that was really meaningful to me when that struck me at some point in this journey of mine. But thinking about this, thinking about section 88, reflecting on the sun, the moon, the stars, the natural light that we see with our eyes, um, and that this light gives life to all things. When I'm driving out in the countryside on a, on a beautiful day and the sun is shining, I think this is all here because of the light of Christ. The light that illuminates the trees, the hills, the flowers is from Christ. It is, as Party P. Pratt said, the grosser elements of the light of Christ that we can discern with our natural eyes. And then the life that's in those trees and in those flowers and in myself and everyone that I see comes from the light of Christ. Elder McConkie taught that the light of Christ is in all men and, if, and in all living things. And, and if it were gone, there would be no life. There's a scripture, and I don't know it off the top of my head. I'm not as good at memorizing as you are, that talks about that the very breath that we breathe is through Christ. Where Do you know what that reference is? Well, you might, one that comes to mind, I'm not sure if it's the one you're thinking of, is in Mosiah. And King Benjamin talks about the Savior and says that he is preserving us from day to day by lending us breath. That's the one. Even sustaining us from one moment to another. He is the source of life. And this, there's a, there's a causal relationship in these first couple of verses of DNC 88, 6 to 13 where it says, he that ascended up on high as also he descended below all things. So that would have been in Gethsemane and, and on Calvary. He descended below all things in that he comprehended all things, that he might be in all and through all things, the light of Christ. Because the Savior performed his atoning sacrifice, he was empowered to become in all and through all things. And and not that's not that his person is in all and through all things, but his spirit, the light of Christ. It specifically defines that. And that's where we see, and this was one of those aha moments for me that struck me a, f- a few years ago. And I said, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is literally the life and the light of the world. The source of life is the light of Christ. That's what these verses say. The light of Christ is in all things and giveth life to all things. So it follows in my mind, although this isn't stated anywhere, to me it's just connecting some dots. It follows in my mind that without the atonement, there would be no life on earth. And it's interesting. It was, again, it was another aha moment in the midst of all of this and all these years. But when at some point this thought struck me that, Okay, this scripture says, again, it's DNC 88, 6 to 13, worth memorizing, or at least worth reading and reflecting upon, indicates that as a result of the atonement, Jesus Christ became the source of life and light by providing us the light of Christ. And the in the gospel topics, for the definition of light of Christ, and I don't have it right here, to, I won't get the quote exact, but... It doesn't say this is a gift of conscience to all men, which is what we commonly think of. It says the light of Christ is a divine energy that gives life to all things. Mm, wow. And so if the light of Christ is the source of our of life, 
And if that is light of Christ is available to us through the mediation and atonement of Jesus Christ, in my mind, it follows that without the atonement, there would be no life on earth. Now, well, just some other thoughts that I've had on that on that particular topic. So thinking back through the the doctrine of the fall in Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were in, in the presence of God the Father. The Father provided Adam and Eve directly his spirit and his light. At the moment of the fall, they were cut off from God, the presence of God both temporally and spiritually. And it was at that moment then that Jesus Christ stepped forward as the foreordained mediator and savior. And he became the mediator and then provided, he became the source of life for us. Adam and Eve were cut off from the presence of the Father. Jesus Christ stepped forward and the Spirit of God could pass through the Savior to Adam and Eve to provide them the light and life, they, the light they needed to live in a mortal fallen existence. And so there's another scripture that states that the light, the light and the life, the spirit and the power are provided, are sent forth by the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. So our access to light and life and spirit and power are only through the mediation of Jesus Christ. And you have an analogy for this that you, I remember when you came to me, I was in high school and you said, oh, I've thought about this analogy of, of the Savior. Are you about to, am I jumping the gun here? No, 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 that's fine. So this analogy came as you and I had this conversation. I had not thought of it before, but we were talking about how we're, we're totally dependent on Jesus Christ for life uh, and for light. And I thought, oh, it's like, it's like a room that just has one window through which light can enter. Our fallen world has access to the spirit and light of God through Jesus Christ alone. Everything to us comes through Jesus Christ. Everything. It also struck me when, and again, I was able to make this connection quickly because I had memorized the verse about the light and the life, the spirit and the power sent forth by the will of the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. One day when I read that scripture, I immediately thought, Heavenly Father needs Jesus Christ to mediate for us just as much as we need Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father can't bless us without the mediation of Jesus Christ because we would have, as fallen men and women, we would have no access to his blessings. Mm. And so Heavenly Father needs the Savior as mediator so he can bless us through him just as much as we need the Savior so that we can reach up to the Father and receive those blessings. And that was just very uplifting. It was another aha moment. This, oh, Wow. That's why he is well-beloved of the Father, his beloved Son. Because without his beloved Son, God could not shed his blessings upon us. That's a huge blessing of the atonement. That's a huge yeah. blessing of the Savior. And it is through the light of Christ. The light of Christ is the energy or power that gives life. In this fallen world, before the fall, it wasn't needed because Heavenly Father could provide it directly. But once Adam and Eve cut themselves off from the presence of God, temporally and spiritually, 
we had to have a mediator through which Heavenly Father could send his spirit, which is, and so through which he could send his spirit, which gives life. But that's why we call it, that's one of the reasons we call it the light of Christ, because God's spirit is available to us through him and him alone. So like the room with just one window through which light can enter, our fallen world has access to the spirit of God through Jesus Christ himself alone. That is why the spirit of God for us is also called the light of Christ. Mm, okay. It is available to us through him. So the spirit of God is the light of Christ. Now, Joseph Smith, so understanding that connection between light and spirit, and that spirit is the light of Christ is the spirit of God. Joseph Smith recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants, there is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine or pure and can only be discerned by pure eyes. So that got me thinking. Well, this is a material substance. Well, what's that like? How can we understand that? And I thought of sugar. Sugar is a material substance with grains of sugar that we understand. What are the effects? What are the attributes and effects of sugar? Well, it's sweet. And if we add sugar to water, we have sweet water. Sometimes there are things that we really need to add sugar to so that they're pleasant to drink. The example that I've used or that I've thought of in the past is Kool-Aid. I don't know if the old Kool-Aid is still sold in the stores, the unsweetened powder. If it is, if you can get a hold of it, you put the unsweetened powder in some water and drink it and see how it tastes. It's, it's not nice. It's not pleasant. But you can take sugar, which is sweet, and sweetens the drink and add it to the, to the Kool-Aid, and it becomes very pleasant. Kids love it. I suppose some adults love it, too. But it's the sweetness. And I thought, well, then how could the spirit be likened to that? What are the attributes and the effects of the spirit? It's a material substance. Sugar is poured into water. Can the spirit be poured into us? Absolutely. In fact, that's the exact word used in the Book of Mormon when Jacob was confronted by Shiram, the Antichrist. And the, the scripture says, as Jacob was preparing to debate with Sherem, and the Lord God poured his spirit into me, into my soul, poured his spirit into my soul. And I think of pouring sugar into Kool-Aid. And so the spirit, again, a material substance can be poured in, it, it can be added to us, it can be withdrawn from us. The scriptures, many scriptures talk about the spirit being withdrawn from the wicked. It makes sense in the way that we describe often the way that we feel the spirit. We talk about a warmth within us. I have had one particular experience where it did feel like someone was pouring water over my head, but internally, <laughs> you know, a warm feeling or that feeling of love that just envelops your whole soul, your body. And, and I think about how that, that makes sense the way that we might feel a breeze that, that when it hits our skin and it's, and it's soft and subtle, but it's, you know, it can be quite pleasant on a summer day and the way that might feel that's like, you know, the spirit moving within us or being poured into us in some of this language that we use in the scriptures or describing our, our spiritual experiences that feels in line to me with, with what you're saying about the influence of how the spirit of the light of Christ 
influences us. Yeah, it, that reminds me of a conversation you and I had, Amy. In fact, it was one time when I was teaching, substitute teaching in your seminary class. And early in the morning, asked the class, what does the spirit feel like when you have an experience with the spirit? And I remember your response was, it feels like an inside hug. Yeah, I remember that. And it does that. I still would describe it that way, you know, yeah. to someone that's like, oh, I don't know what, what is that? That's what it feels like to me. Like someone's yeah. just wrapping you in a big hug. Yeah. And so I, again, I think of the sugar and the Kool-Aid. I think of the spirit being poured into us. Well, sugar is sweet and it sweetens. What are the attributes of the spirit? So in this course of all of these years, thinking about these things, I've come across a few scriptures and statements of other brethren about this, the attributes and effects of the Spirit. The word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light. And whatsoever is light is Spirit, even the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So here, there are a couple of attributes. Truth. Well, and light is being an attribute of the spirit. It's the spirit that's the material particles, the spirit particles. A chief attribute of the spirit of God is light. And so another reason why it's called the light of Christ. Um, the glory of God is intelligence. Or in other words, light and truth. Glory, intelligence, truth. If your eye be single to my glory, your whole bodies shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you, and that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Understanding, glory, intelligence, those are attributes and effects of the Spirit. In Galatians, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, goodness. Love. Aren't those things that we all seek for? Isn't that what we are we want? You feel an inside hug in there in those words at all? Absolutely. Those are yeah. the attributes of the spirit. And when the spirit is poured into us, that's what we feel. And we're enlightened. And it makes sense. I mean, thinking back about this, this quote from President Nelson that we talked about at the beginning, where he says that the Lord will answer all of our questions. It makes sense, right? As we're prioritizing Christ and and seeking to align ourselves with him, we allow ourselves to be filled with the light of Christ and receive from Heavenly Father to be able to comprehend more and more until it is all things, right? Yeah. So our common thought of the light of Christ as that portion of God's spirit that's given to all men and women that helps us to discern and recognize good from evil and helps us to choose the right. That is absolutely correct and true, but it's just the beginning. All of these other godly, divine attributes and blessings can be added to it. It's not just to recognize good, but it's to feel love. It's to feel loved. It's to feel peace. It's to have understanding to gain knowledge. One brother, Elder B.H. Roberts, who was a member of the seven who was a 70 and of the presidency of the 70 again in the early 20th century he he thought about these things a lot so i've read a fair amount from elder roberts he expanded the list of attributes of the spirit or light of christ to include all godly attributes 
he wrote, this light then, the light of truth and named for us men, the light of Christ, which proceedeth forth from the presence of God to fill the immensity of space, proceeds forth or vibrates or radiates from God to extend God into all space, bearing forth, in fact, all the attributes of deity, knowledge, wisdom, judgment, truth, holiness, mercy, and more. So Elder Roberts described the light of Christ as possessing and conferring all of the attributes of godliness and all divine blessings. Well, when that I read that and I thought about that for a minute, I thought, oh my goodness. This then is how we become like Christ. We want to live our lives and become like Christ? How do we become like Christ? Well, one, one way of describing it is by receiving more and more of his light. And that which is of God is light. He that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. One way of describing our becoming like Christ is that by receiving more of the light of Christ. So everybody receives a portion, and it requires the covenant path. And when we, again, back to the idea of the importance of sharing the gospel, when we share the gospel with others, we make available to them, if they so choose, a greater capacity for all of these spiritual gifts and blessings. That's why gospel sharing is so important. It's the best thing we can do, share the gospel with other people. As far as a social good, I mean, what can we best do to help others? Share the gospel with them and then and help them along the covenant path. So understanding this doctrine of the light of Christ, that it's actually a material substance, a spiritual substance that possesses all the attributes of God and confers them if, to those who receive more of it, that the spirit can be poured into us. Um, that defines our progress. It also defines, helps us better understand another doctrine of the church, and that is becoming one with God and Christ. I was hoping you were going to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts. So another time it struck me that this is what it means to become one with the Father and the Son um, and that is to possess a fullness of spirit or of light. One day, again, reading from Elder B.H. Roberts, I came across this statement from Elder Roberts. Even as flame leaps toward flame and blends with it, so truth proclaimed and striking the hearing spirit of man finds entrance there in understanding. Now, he was, re he was referring to the scripture that talks about how intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence, and truth uh, seeketh truth. And so like-minded spiritual tendencies blend together. They're attracted to one another. But the thought that went through my mind was, oh, that sounds like what it's like to become one with the Father and with the Son. I thought of two candles, or well, two candles. And if you hold two candles together and, and lean there, tilt their flames together, at some point, the flames will, will leap to one another and become one flame. And you can't distinguish the one from the other. And when I had this kind of aha moment, I thought, oh, think of the flames 
one is in the other and the other is in the one not the candles just the flames it's not the physical body or personage of the father and the son and the holy ghost that are one it's their energy it's their attributes it's their knowledge and their intelligence and their power and i love this i think this struck a chord with me when we talked about this again i was in high school and i was always looking for ways to be able to describe the doctrine that i believed in in relation to my other christian friends and this one struck a chord because they believed in the trinity and so for me to be able to say yes in the scriptures it does say they are one this is how they are one not that they are physically in the same body but that they that they are one in in spirit and truth yeah. and and that giving a physical analogy of that helped me to be able to understand it in my own mind and then to be able to communicate that to others as well. And that's exactly what it did for me too. When I read th that statement by B.H. Roberts about the candle flames, that's exactly what it did for me. Oh my goodness, this is what it means to be one. And then with that aha moment, then I went back and looked at scriptures and the well-known words of the Savior, I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one. Now, the analogy with the candles, that's an, ex that's an external blending of two candles. I think what's, but what happens for us and our oneness with the Godhead, that there is a, that similar oneness of light that emanates from us, but it really comes from a uh, a blending of the spirit within so that we actually receive the spirit within us and God's spirit more fully connects with our spirit inside. And from that oneness emanates this notion of light. I love, um, well, and, and another statement by the, the apostle John, he wrote, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He defines that beautifully. And so it's an indwelling in all of the one divine spirit. This one, the spirit is, it's, it's one divine spirit that is sent forth from the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, the Father being the, the ultimate source, the Son mediating between us and the Father to provide it to us, and the Holy Ghost shares in that as well. And so, when we when that sport, spirit is poured into us, then that same spirit dwells within us. That's the divine nature that Paul talks about, that we can receive. I think it's Paul. It might be Peter. Can't remember exactly. That's the divine nature. The divine nature is the spirit of God. The spirit of God, we can receive more. It can be poured into us. Uh, and we become one with them in spirit. Joseph Smith taught that God dwells in everlasting burnings on a globe like a sea of glass and fire. That last phrase is recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants. So I imagine that the flame of God is immense. He lives in everlasting burnings. Whereas in uh, the scriptures we read that the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord. That's in Proverbs. The spirit of man is a candle of the Lord. It seems like a tiny flame compared with the everlasting burnings of the Father. And so when we become one with him, or we receive a fullness of light. And if you think of those two, and, and whoever's interested in listening can 
light two candles and hold them together and see what happens to those flames. The two become one and the one is bigger and brighter than either one alone. And so I picture God in everlasting burnings. He lights our candle when he sends us to earth. As we choose the right and as we receive gospel covenants, we lean back toward him. And when we receive a fullness of light, our flame is swallowed up in his flame. His flame becomes a little bit larger, whereas ours becomes exponentially, ours explodes in brilliance and brightness and glory and knowledge and power. Thus, the eternal progression. The eternal progression of God is through his posterity. He lights these little candles and sends, sends us off. And as we come back to him and rejoin him, then those flames enlarge his forever. And he will, he will grow, increase in glory eternally as he works to bring about the immortality and eternal life of man. That is his work and his glory, and he will increase in glory forever. As long as he has posterity that come back to him and put their flames back with his. That's so beautiful. I'm going to think about that. When we light candles at Christmas time, this, this time of year, we think about, you know, celebrating the birth of our Savior and what those candles really mean as far as our little lights. That's a beautiful imagery. So, again, through all these 40 years since my elders quorum discussions in, at BYU, these little thoughts have come as real, well, packets of light is a phrase that Elder Richard G. Scott used. He used it in the context of scripture study and scripture reading. To me, these little ideas about Jesus Christ being the light and the life of the world, about through the, through the light of Christ, that we become like Christ as we receive the light of Christ. We become one with Christ as we receive the light of Christ. There's a beautiful article in the March 2016 edition of The Ensign by Elder Larry Lawrence of the 70, entitled The Light of the Perfect Day. It is a beautiful article. Um, I recommend it to anyone interested in this topic. One of the things that he says was, in essence, our whole purpose in life is to gain light. It's not, it's not to gain power, influence, prestige, money. It's to gain light, by which we become one with this God, by which we become like God. That's the whole purpose. One of the passages of scripture that I loved and memorized and have pondered is in Doctrine and Covenants section 19. I think it's like 16 to 19 or something like that. Doctrine and Covenants section 19, which begins, For I, God, have suffered these things for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I, which suffering cost myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain. There's about four or five verses there that are quoted often in general conference and in elsewhere when we talk about the atonement and about the Savior's suffering and how he submitted his will to the will of his Father. But the quote normally stops, and I think it's at verse 19. Mm -hmm. One day I read one more verse, and in that verse, that, that one I didn't memorize, but I know what it says, that the Savior is talking to Joseph Smith, and he said, you can't comprehend the suffering that I went through. You can't imagine it. But he said, you, you got a glimpse of it 
at the time I withdrew my spirit. Now, this is in the context of Joseph and, and Martin Harris losing the manuscript. And there's much in the documented history of the church of how the darkness that that brought into Joseph's life, the fear, the agony that brought to him when that manuscript was lost. He felt awful. And in that verse, when the Savior says, you can't, you can't fully understand the suffering that I experienced in Gethsemane, but you got a glimpse of it at the time I withdrew my spirit. To me, that was, I thought, oh, that's, that is a clue. That is a clue to what happened in the process of atonement. And in the context of all of this study and pondering and reflection on the light of Christ or the spirit of God, and how it's a material, spiritual substance that can be with it can be added to us or withdrawn from us. And then the Savior telling Joseph that he got a feel for the atonement, a little bit, an inkling at the time the Savior withdrew his spirit. I thought, that sounds to me like that's what happened to the Savior. The Father withdrew his spirit from the Savior. When we commit sin, we offend the spirit and it withdraws from us to a degree. I thought in order for Christ then to suffer for all sin, the spirit had to completely withdraw from him. And that helps us understand what happened during the atonement and what the Savior went through. But since he was perfect and had never committed sin, the spirit had no reason to withdraw from him. So his father had to take it away. And I imagined then the father withdrawing his spirit, taking it back. The Savior, who had obtained as much as can be obtained on earth, had received of the fullness on earth, now had it withdrawn for no, no fault of his own. And that the withdrawal of the Spirit is accompanied by pain, both spiritual and physical. It's a, it's a material substance. Now that's being wrenched from one without cause of his own. When we commit sin, it hurts. If we're sensitive to it and we care about doing what's right, if we make a mistake and the spirit withdraws, it hurts. Mentally, for sure. Spiritually, for sure. And, and in some cases, I think can even have a physical effect, at, at least of causing one to feel without energy, lacking of energy and, and depressed and discouraged. And so for the spirit to be withdrawn from the Savior who had received, who had obtained a fullness on earth, to have that all re removed. Although, again, we, we can't comprehend exactly what that was like. It strikes me as a bit of understanding of what that process was. And in the context of the light of Christ and the significance and importance of the light of Christ or the Spirit of God, it struck me that, wow, again, this isn't just the, por the portion of light that all mankind receives. It's way more than that. It's for us to progress and grow, we receive and obtain greater portions of the light of Christ. We receive more and more until we receive it in full and thereby receive a fullness of joy. And then what happened in the atonement was it was all taken away from the Savior. And I was thrilled then to hear in general conference some years ago, Elder Holland bear testimony of the atonement. And this was from his talk in April of 2009, and he taught this exact doctrine. 
He said, nevertheless, that the supreme sacrifice of his son might be as complete as it was voluntary and solitary. The father briefly withdrew from Jesus the comfort of his spirit, the support of his holy presence, of his personal presence. For his atonement to be infinite and eternal, he had to feel what it was like to have the divine spirit withdraw, leaving one feeling totally, abjectly, hopelessly alone. So the light of Christ defines our progress. It's the substance of our progress. And it's the substance of the atoning sacrifice. Which is huge. I can't imagine what that must have been like for our heavenly father to have this, this perfect son who has chosen to give of himself for, for us and to have to withdraw his spirit from him. I, I can only imagine how difficult that was for our father as well. Um, yeah, he, he had to take it away. Yeah, that. Oh, it was nothing that happened naturally. One of the big takeaways for me has been increased reflection and to some degree, to some small degree, understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I love learning about the light of Christ and the potential that we have when we talk about divine nature and divine potential, eternal progression, these beautiful, big ideas. I love learning about how that actually works. There's so much that I can't comprehend with where I am in my spiritual journey and in my mortal state, but those grains of knowledge bring me so much joy and helps me to find the motivation to keep trying, even when I don't feel like it's getting me anywhere or all I can do is read a few verses of my book of Mormon at night. And that's all I've got that day. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's still growing my capacity to, to draw closer to Christ. So thank you for sharing these things with us. If anyone is listening and is interested in reading Bill Fleming, my dad's essay, feel free to look at the show notes. We'll have it posted there along with a couple of other of these articles that he has referenced. Now to end our time together, dad, I would love to ask you, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and in his restored church? Because I have felt the light of Christ in my life. And it has brought such great joy. The first time I felt it was as a 14-year-old boy at my first youth conference. I grew up in a small branch of the church. I was one of just a couple of members of, of the church in my high school years. My senior year, I was the only one in my high school. I wasn't around members of the church very much. But at 14, I was able to go to a, I think it was a, a tri-stake youth conference and be around hundreds of of other youth and enjoyed fun times with them. And the end of the youth conference, we had a testimony meeting. And these older youth that, that were there that I looked up to just from the from the few days of interactions with them and thought these were great. These are great young people, and I looked up to them. And to hear them bear testimony, to hear their testimonies, I was touched by the Spirit and uplifted in a, in a wonderful way. That's my first recollection of being uplifted by the Spirit. And it felt so good. Um, and that's the same kind of feeling that I've then had repeated from time to time in different experiences throughout my life that has been beautiful and wonderful and it feels right it feels good it feels joyous and i just i want to continue and i want to one day hope and pray that i will 
experience what it is to have a fullness of light and a fullness of joy. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Thank you for taking the time um, to be here and share your excitement and energy about the gospel with us. It's a testament to me of the way that the Lord can teach us and mentor us over a lifetime uh, as we put in the effort. You've put in an incredible amount of effort to memorizing scriptures, to researching, to documenting the things that you're learning, to be able to remember and, and draw, continue to draw these connections and build this beautiful work that you have. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It, again, it has been, for me personally, it has been a marvelous experience. Um, and so if it can be of help to anyone else, that's, that's wonderful. That's great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Still Rowing, a High Five Live podcast. For updates on episode releases and additional motivation and resources, you can find us on Facebook at High Five Live. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please give us a positive review on your podcast app and like us on the High Five Live Facebook page to help us spread the word. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.